0: Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.
1: Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome along, folks, to Travel First. My name's Alex First, and we have been talking about my trip to Europe through some of the most magnificent cities in the world, along with my co-host, Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris. Nice to have you with us. You.
0: Greetings to you, Alex. I-, I love it when we talk about places that you can fit into a multitude of categories, and I've got a sneaky suspicion that today's destination, as we continue to make our way around Eastern Europe, is one of those places, because it, it is a city, or, or indeed two cities, if you like.
1: It is Buda and Pest. It is the home of my mother, some place that I had not seen. My father was born in Vienna, my mother in Budapest, so we've just spoken about Vienna in the last episode of Travel First, and so now is the turn of Budapest. By the way, we got from one to the other by, well, we had a, a Ural pass. Now. Rail Europe is where you go, folks, if you want to get some wonderful discounts on train travel throughout Europe. It really is the place to go because you can get huge discounts if you book well enough in advance. And you can go single city, multiple city, you can go a pass over a period of time. So for example, that's what we did. We had 10 journeys over a two month period. It was just wonderful. So we caught a rail jet train for to Budapest from Vienna and it was a really quick exercise you don't have to get there hours in advance you don't have to go through all of the hoops that you do when you are catching a plane these days that's one of the benefits not i've got nothing against flying but sometimes it is actually quicker to catch a train and I couldn't think of anything better than your rail. You've done your own fair share of train travel yourself, haven't you, Chris?
0: I haven't. It's interesting to hear you talk about how in Europe it is often quicker to catch the train from city to city than catch the plane. Uh, I did a lot of rail travel, and I mean you know, 4,000-plus kilometres of rail travel over a fortnight in Japan uh, in a trip that we will get to down the track. Uh, and the Japanese have have rail travel down to an art. that will surprise nobody in recent times Japan Airlines is actually trying to counter that and is running some for, for foreign visitors some insanely cheap tickets uh, internally but you still have that factor that in many Japanese centers the airport is a long way from the town center so while the flight will definitely be shorter than the actual train travel, uh, the the uh, the Shin Osaka or the Shin Tokyo or, or the, the, the main station that you'll wind up at with the train is right in the city centre and if you factor it all in the train's still going to be quicker. So interesting to
1: hear that bears out in Europe as well. It does, well I mean you can sort of basically rock up, I mean i take it in general terms but you can turn up 15 minutes before the train. I mean, yeah, Eurostar you can't but over that requires a little bit more time but everybody else, every, most of the other trains, no problems at all and you got, you're right. City centre to city centre. So there's no expensive cab charges and traffic if, if you want to avoid that. And the seating is just terrific. I mean, uh, there, there seems to be lots of leg room, which is nice if you're a taller individual. And one of the things I, I, I tend to – what's the word? Depower my electronic devices too quickly. So – I use the train. I use the train trips as a way of charging my electronic devices. You run them flat, in other words. Basically, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the one, the, the other thing is, if you bought something, if you're a little bit over stocked with items, well, I, there, I, I didn't. There's no baggage limit. So, I, I mean, one thing though. I mean, you, you tend to buy. I, I don't know whether you do, but I tend to buy too much. I, I end up sending it back from I, I, I
0: don't know what you're talking about I mean I went to the States three weeks ago with two
1: suitcases came home three days ago with four suitcases I don't know oh, what you're talking okay. about yeah good good man but but of course you, you've got a reasonably healthy baggage limit on your aircraft the, the biggest problem is you've got to well you've got to take it around with you don't you, you so do. you don't you, you don't have that problem though once you're on the train and you've got stunning scenery Often, I mean, we're going to be talking about Switzerland in in weeks to come and, boy, oh, boy, taking some of the – using a Eurail pass there is just breathtaking, but not just there, throughout much much of Europe. So you can choose to go at night. So some people avoid basically paying for for a hotel room by by sleeping on the train. And I mentioned if you you book in advance – You can, well, you can save up to 70% of the regular price and it's environmentally friendly and it's convenient for day trips to neighbouring towns and and wine regions. You don't have to worry about drinking and driving, Chris. Hint, hint. You know, (laughs) not that you do, but I'm just saying. But it is always a factor. Yeah, well, there you go. And and, uh, look, you see, just to give you some idea, you've got, you can go off the beaten track as well. There's something like 240,000 kilometres of track Right. So rail reaches to almost every corner of Europe that's not even accessible by road. And it's also a great way to meet locals. We we had good conversations on the train because, you know, it's it's a very efficient train system. And the other thing is, of course, you can eat on board. There's there's on board dining services. So, yeah, and
0: no turbulence to suddenly land a cup of hu- a lukewarm
1: coffee in your lap. Indeed. Yeah. So look, very many reasons that rail Europe in Australia, you can book at and and take a Rail pass and and check it all out. I mean, uh, you know, raileurope.com.au and you'll you'll find it all. And, in fact, the interesting thing is that apparently Australia is the most, in terms of, we punch above our weight. Australia is Rail Europe's top-selling country for rail tickets. I kid you not. So, anyway, we will also talk, by the way, about other forms of transportation, but I'm a big rap for train having done quite a bit of it while I was in Europe. This is Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. So, we get to Budapest. Now, Budapest is the Hungarian capital. Population of Budapest is around about one and three-quarter to two million people out of a total country population of ten million. Really beautiful city. It is, in fact, one of the cheapest cities I have ever visited in terms of spending money. Right. It's a. Re- we bought some wonderful cheap things. My wife bought so many pairs of shoes, and in fact, funnily enough, earlier today she was wearing one of them. And th- the beauty about these things, you know, how often you buy the little, I don't know, knickknacks that you put on the on on the mantelpiece. Mm. That's great, and you know, when you pass them, and you know, if you're talking about your travels to others, you can you can allude to it. But when you're actually wearing something. And my wife was very proud of a pair of boots she bought. And she said, what, what do you think of the boots? I said, oh, yeah, you know, it brings back memories. And it does. So you actually, so the, the idea is that if you're buying something that you're wearing and using every day, you can make your trip last even further. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm okay with all of that. And, look, it's, it really is magnificent. It, it's a beautiful city. It's got many World Heritage-listed sites, including the banks of the Danube River. You've got the Buddha Castle District, the rich Androssi Avenue. It's a, a great shopping area. Heroes Square, the Millennium Underground Railway. By the way, Budapest, as I said, drawn by combining the two city areas at either side of the mighty Danube, one being called Buddha, which is the hilly area, and the other, Pest. And the Danube, by the way, the river is... Europe's longest, the European Union's longest river. It passes through or touches. Now, here's a trivial pursuit question. How many countries do you reckon it it touches or or passes through, Chris? 78. (laughs) Yeah, very good, (laughs) 10. Yes, 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 fail. (laughs) Very
0: good. That's my standard answer for how many when I have no clue.
1: Very good, 78. I like that, yeah, so 10. Now, we, we walk to the Parliament building, which is not only massive in size... But spectacular in its architecture. I've it's,
0: seen pictures of it. Do pictures do it justice?
1: No. You've got I mean it's like saying, Oh well, do I see the Taj Mahal through through vision, but not by actually visiting? No, you actually have to go there. I mean that. Anyway, that this is an entirely different part of the world. This is not India, this is Hungary. But but the parliament building in Budapest was built between eighteen eighty-five and nineteen oh four. 24 kilograms of gold was used to embellish what is the second largest parliament building in Europe and the world's third largest. It's massive, Chris. And the Palace of Westminster in part inspired the design. A well-known Hungarian architect architect called Imre Steindl laid out the plans. It stretches for 268 metres along the Danube.
0: So so basically for every, every 10 metres, there's a kilo of gold.
1: Yeah, that's very good. Yes, indeed. And it's adorned with these neo-Gothic turrets and arches. They're white in colour. Forms the most outstanding landmark on the Pest side of the city, which the Danube, as I say, divides. And you've got statues of Hungarian monarchs and military commanders decorating the outer walls. And the interior design, by the way, includes huge halls there's about twenty kilometers of corridors. Can you imagine cleaning them anyway ninety six meter high central dome and well, if you look at your average home, how many rooms does an average home have oh, half a dozen yeah, this has got six hundred and ninety one
0: okay so that that'd house a few people in, in 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 when push comes to shove
1: exactly so i i was I was agog. Awe-struck by the third-largest parliament building in the world, and we then visited St Stephen's Basilica, which is Budapest's largest Roman Catholic church, home to the mummified hand of the first Hungarian king, St Stephen. Of course, you'd keep his hand. Why wouldn't you? It was built between 1851 and 1903, and again, I, I was really struck by its majesty and its beauty. It really, is quite something, St Stephen's Basilica. Now, we decided, my wife and I, to find out what the rest of the city looked like, and we took a ride on a hop-on, hop-off bus. You and I have talked about this many times. Great way to see the city. In fact, often it's the best way to start seeing a city and then go back or to get... I mean, you can, you can do a full tour of... Of, you know, one line and often there's several lines that you can do and and you can sort of do them and then go back at your leisure or else you can literally spend a day hopping on and hopping off as the bus suggested. The highlight of this hop-on, hop-off bus tour was climbing the hill to the castle, which under usual circumstances presents a magnificent view of the Danube River and of, the Bud- uh, and of Budapest. Now, you said
0: under usual
1: circumstances. Well, basically... It was all well and good while we were climbing up, right? However, it began snowing, <laughs> and then it continued snowing. And suddenly, they, we were in whiteout conditions, Chris. I, I took lots of really good shots of white.
0: <laughs> ah, so you got you were able to check the white balance on your camera, so I'm right, glad to yeah, hear that was do. working. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now I mean, as somebody who doesn't see a lot of snow, I thought it was wonderful when it started snowing in Europe. Um, when it, it was wonderful until you couldn't see anything, and then, then you were waiting to to resume normal transmission and uh, and go back there. So anyway, so you'd,
0: you'd have a, you'd had to have an added difficulty there too, because uh, again, as I said, I've, I've had a look at a lot of pictures of Budapest in preparation for this uh, chat this week. A lot of the the historic buildings there are constructed of white or, or very pale grey marble. So once the snow starts coming down it's going to add a, a, a whole new level of difficulty to the visibility thing.
1: Indeed. But, look, it didn't last long. I mean, once once the visibility came back, it was just splendid. I, I honestly mean this, not just because my mum was born there. I was really taken by Budapest. I think it is one of the great cities. It's, it's one of the undiscovered treasures of the world. When I say undiscovered, it's not as if many people haven't gone there. But you, you often hear about Vienna, but you don't hear as much about uh, Budapest. I, I reckon that they they should be talked about in in well, it, probably in equal terms because there's so much beauty in Budapest, and because they're so close together, clearly you should see both when you are on a trip to Europe. And by the way, we we then visited the Great Market Hall while it was sort of snowing uh, outside. We we also that evening, by the way, we took a one hour cruise on the Danube. I thought that was fantastic aboard the danube legend and while we were plying the calm waters of the river we were given an audio commentary of some of the major attractions on both riverbanks which were magnificently illuminated against the night sky and that made it a trip to remember and of course there was full visibility uh, by then you you also if you are so inclined you also get a free drink champagne beer wine or if you would rather soft drink or mineral water and an adult ticket for that hour long cruise, I think this is very reasonable, about 25 bucks. That's all right, that's Australian. all right. Yeah, I mean, by the way, not it's so popular, not one but two boats were needed to accommodate all who wanted to experience Budapest by night on the river. And this is in the middle of winter when we were there and it was still that popular. So the the following morning we caught up, we caught a bus uh, to be taken uh, and, and we, we went back to Buda Castle and its surrounds and the first royal residence on the hill dates back to the 13th century the oldest part of the present day palace though was built in the 14th century how often do we talk about the fact that in australia well white whites were what we came out 200 odd years ago you know here I mean, obviously uh, the the aboriginal history goes back 40 or 50000 years but in europe everything is centuries old mm. You know, I mean, not everything, but obviously some of the most magnificent structures, most magnificent buildings. So, yeah, the oldest part of the palace built in the 14th century. And Buda Castle is part of the Budapest World Heritage Site. It was a perfect, picture-perfect sunny day. There you go, the following day after the whiteout. And while the castle itself was spectacular, the view from the castle over the Danube oh, just took my breath away. From there you can look across at the citadel, and that was built by the Habsburg Empire in 1854. Former fortification, one of the most popular lookout points for another view of the city, the citadel. It's there that the Statue of Liberty stands, being the figure of a woman holding aloft a palm branch. So, in the castle district, within easy walk, is a, another church called Matthias Church, originally built in the early Middle Ages, serving as the coronation church of several Hungarian kings. The building took on its present Gothic form between 1874 and 1902. So it's living history. Th- that's what I'm saying about Budapest. And the interior design of Matthias Church is an outstanding example of European Art Nouveau. So that's, I mean, we were just looking across and sort of longingly looking. Bear in mind, we we had a few days, right? We had a couple of days here, a couple of days there. To have done justice to Vienna, we would have needed to spend far more than the three days we spent there. Likewise with, with Budapest. Now, we caught a bus down the mountain and we were met by a guide from who, well, she took us on a walking tour of the Jewish district including showing us some of the original buildings when the Jews were segregated from the rest of the community during the Second World War.
0: This is something that you've talked about a bit on, on editions of, of Travel First, Alex, about going to the Jewish districts and, and the, the Jewish heritage or uh, the commemoration of, of uh, a generation of, of Jewish people that was
1: virtually wiped out during World War II. What's that like? uh it's sobering it's it's shocking and especially when i did talk about going into a synagogue where every square centimeter of the walls was covered by the names of those that were annihilated that was one of the most chilling moments in many respects of my life because these were living breathing human beings like you and i and cut down i mean millions and millions of people were slaughtered during the second world war but the jewish community was absolutely and the word is used correctly decimated six million jews were killed so if you go to europe i mean i haven't one of the places that i've yet to visit which i hope to in the future is is germany and i know the apologies have been forthcoming in recent times and so on but yeah, you know, this is not so long ago. I mean, the Second World War. You know, we're, we're talking about our parents' generation. So, I, I don't think any tour of Europe, for most people who have got an interest in the world, would be complete without seeing remnants of what was left and the effect that the Second World War had on devastating entire communities. And mm. that's why I did a lot of that. We ended up at, uh, in this case, at the Dohany Street Synagogue, also known as the Great Synagogue, that was built between 1854 and 1859 with Spanish influences. I had not seen a synagogue with Spanish influences before. The largest synagogue in Europe, it, it seats 3,000 people, and it was, for, it was actually part of the Budapest Ghetto during the Second World War. So we got a a tour guide gave us a 45 minute introduction to the synagogue and the memorial and graveyard and the site also houses the Jewish museum it was built on the site where the father of modern zionism theodore herzl was born and so i mean again it's just it's a combination of seeing what's modern with what is ancient and what is traditional and that's what i i mean europe to me speaks volumes obviously my parents having being European means a lot to me as well but they came out I was, I was born here my brother was born here but we, we, we've, I've done it I did a European trip when I was a student right that goes back the best part of sort of 30 years so to see it again as an older adult not an old adult but an older adult if anything it meant even more to me now and especially because I was visiting my parents birthplace so I I mean, but I don't think you need to have a, a relative to, to to appreciate what I'm talking about now. Moving from there, we, we took a 45-minute tour of the Hungarian State Opera, which is one of the jewels of Andrasi Avenue. Spectacular building with a tradition of well over a century. I mean, really, it was spectacular. And often the opera houses, I'm not just talking about the Hungarian State Opera, which was spectacular, but the opera houses... in in Paris, for example, and and places around. This is what, when my parents first came out to Australia and they were young adults, one of the things they missed the most was the culture that Europe had. And they were delighted when, and we do another podcast, by the way, called Movies First, where we talk about film and we also talk Mm. about theatre and and ballet and opera and and, uh, musicals, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that my parents really appreciated was the fact that Australia quickly caught up and whilst there wasn't this great european heritage with regards to art and culture when they first came to australia within a space of 10 or 20 years there was so much to see and do and you know we've we've developed our own culture here but we've also adopted the best from around the world and that's what's great about australia but back to back to budapest we talk about andrassy avenue it's a boulevard that dates back to 1870 Two, And it's lined with spectacular mansions and townhouses, neo-Renaissance mansions and townhouses, fine facades and interiors. It was recognised as a World Heritage site back in 2002. So you've got this whole avenue. It's one of the main shopping streets in Budapest. Great cafes, by the way, and restaurants and theatres and luxury boutiques. So you know, that, that's, that's where the Hungarian state opera was. And the decision to build the opera house was made in 1873. Construction began in 1875, completed nine years later. So, yeah, again, you've got something that, that is very much a tradition in one of the great opera houses of the world. And the Neo-Renaissance Palace has remained virtually unchanged in the 130 years since. That's, that's the, the opera house continues to attract admirers of opera and ballet alike. So, yeah, that's one of the highlights of of our trip to Budapest. We also took a short visit to the historic Millennium Underground Railway, the second oldest underground railway in the world that was built in the 1800s, 1894 to 1896.
0: Dare I ask, if it was built back then, why is it called the Millennium Railway or don't we know? I don't know, unfortunately. Okay. You can Google that for me. I, 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 may, I may do that. I, I may just let it slide.
1: Yeah, well, well look, we we um we grabbed... We were in Hungary, but we still grabbed a pizza and pasta. You know my love of Italian food. I do. So, so I'm afraid that's what I did. Then we headed to Heroes Square opposite the Millennium Underground Railway, one of the major squares in, in Budapest. The centrepiece is the Millennium Monument. So there you go. You've got the Millennium Underground Railway and the Millennium Monument designed in 1894 and completed 35 years later. 36 metres above Heroes Square is the Millennium Column. Clearly they like that word.
0: I'm going to take a guess, and this is just a, a pure guess, I'm going to take a guess that it's probably the Millennium of the city as opposed to the Millennium Millennium that most oh, of us would yes. think about.
1: Yes, I would have thought, so I think that's a reasonable uh, assertion. And by the way, the um, the column is topped with a statue of the archangel Gabriel, and behind the column is the semicircular colonnade with statues of famous men who made their mark on Hungarian history. And you've got the colonnade symbolizing war, peace, work, and welfare, along with knowledge and glory. War, peace, work, welfare, knowledge, and glory. And around the base of the monument a number of equestrian statues honouring the seven chieftains of the Hungarian tribes who conquered the area, which is now known as Hungary. So that is the Heroes' Square. On the north side of the square is the Museum of Fine Arts, which is a museum of this exquisite collection of European art housed in a classical building. And opposite the Museum of Fine Arts stands the Palace of Art, a Greek-like temple that nicely complements the design of the museum of art so again history everywhere you turn by the way one of the great things that we did on a well it was was just below zero we went to a thermal bath right Mm -hmm. It's, it's called the I, I, I suppose my pronunciation is all wrong. Z- There's
0: 70,000 Hungarians in Australia. They'll come after you if you
1: get it wrong. It's S-Z-E-C-H-E-N-Y-I. S-Z-E-C-H-E-N-Y-I.
0: You just took the soft option. You just I piked.
1: Did. Well, I, I I'm afraid... And, by the way, I speak a few words of Hungarian. I spoke Hungarian before I spoke English because my grandmother lived with us. I can now say... Uh, in, nem, in nem basilic shock. No, I didn't get that right. <laughs> I don't speak much. I was trying to say, oh, gee, this, how embarrassing. This I is. love this. You said you could do it. No, you can't. No, uh, in, in Nembeselik in, in nem Shokot. Ah, oh, something like that. Anyway, it's one of the largest spa complexes in Europe, Chris. Excellent. Uh, Let's just go
0: with that, yes. Yes,
1: it was built in 1913 and expanded after that. It's got eighteen different pools, inside and out, open from six in the morning to ten o'clock, seven days a week. and entry twenty bucks, including use of a locker. Two. 1,000 people are allowed in at any one time. That's a big big set of bars, I reckon. I don't know if
0: I could do baths with 2,000 other people. No, no, no,
1: no you I... don't, because there's 18 different pools. So...
0: Yeah, it's still a lot of bodies going through that water. I just don't know. Oh,
1: mate, it was one of the great things. I mean, we spent a relaxing hour and a half in the pools. As I say, below zero outside, steamy 38 degrees in one of the outdoor pools where we spent most of our time, or all of our time, actually. Getting out of the water—how uh, does one put this? A bracing challenge, Chris. But <laughs> one, one well worth tackling, though. And look, we also found it to be a very social environment because you 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 just start up conversations with people while you're luxuriating. It, a lot of locals do this, and the, I mean the, tourists as well, but a lot of locals. And I thought it was wonderful. The, the second, uh, second, yeah, yeah, whatever the third. Person, <laughs> I'm really getting tongue tied. S <laughs> Z E C H uh, E N Y I. Please, our Hungarian listeners, you, you can send us. Oh, they're going to string you up. Ah, uh, yes, in social media too. Yes, so uh, there we go. It really, we loved it. We, I would gladly have gone back had we had had we had more time, but um, unfortunately, we did not. So um, there we go. That look, that was that one of the last things that we did on our journey in Hungary, I, I, I thought it was fabulous. I want to see more of Hungary. I want to go back there and, uh, and and see a little bit more of it because literally we only spent, what, two or three days there and, and we, we could well have spent more and it would have just given us more time to see things and and to savor. Because I mean, you you're almost uh, you sort of say, oh well, how how much time can I afford to do this? If we if we do this for too much longer, then we won't see something else. You know what it's like. Yeah. You, you just get a taste. By the way, I was just speaking to a mate of mine who took a, a a trip a boat trip down the Danube and said that's a great way of seeing it as well. In fact, taking a cruise is a. I, mean, you, I know you've done that. Is a, is a great way to see different places the only the only downside of taking a cruise is often if if you just have literally an, a, a sort of few hours in one port and then you move on and, and whatever then you don't even get the two or three days that we got or four days you only get literally part of a day. How, how did you feel about that when you were cruising? Look, I'm a big
0: fan of cruise ship holidays. Now, I haven't done the river cruises as yet, uh, so I'm speaking about ocean cruising, which I've done oh. to the South Pacific and around New Zealand. Uh, and uh, I, I, I can. There, there are two sides to this. One is you're not going to get that in-depth time in port to see everything in a city. But the other thing is that the cruise ship itself is part of the experience it's part of the holiday so there are shows there are there is there is entertainment there are activities on board the ship as well as part of the cruise so it, there is a trade between the two mm. and at some stage we'll we'll talk more about uh, about cruise ship holidays uh, but you can also, with you, when you go on a cruise, uh, the crew, most cruise lines will organise, if you want, uh, tours and activities onshore so you can get to see the key highlights. Or, and the plus here is that you do know what your timeline is, you can do that research yourself and you can pick out what you want to go to as well and make sure that happens as well. So, so it, it swings
1: and roundabouts. Yeah, look, I, I suppose that if you haven't done it, I, to do something like that would be a wonderful experience. And having said that... I, I tend to – when, I, when I, I like to see places I haven't seen and then sort of cherry-pick which ones you want to go back to and spend more time there. There's, what, like a couple of hundred different countries in the world, so there's going to be very few people who see everything in their lifetime. I mean, it's virtually impossible. So you, you have to sort of pick the eyes out of it, and then you've got to make a decision about whether you see off-the-beaten-track off, off the beaten track places or whether you see some of the great highlights of the world, which is a lot of what we're talking about during our our European sojourn, which we will continue on our next podcast, Chris.
0: Indeed, we will. I've done a little bit of work. A little bit of work while you were talking. Uh, the Magyars, the, the Hungarian folk people. Mojar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that too, yeah. They arrived, <laughs> they arrived in the vicinity of where Budapest now stands in the 9th century. If you add on a 1,000 years, that means a lot of things happened around the millennium of the foundation of the city in the 19th century, otherwise known as the 1800s. So there you go. That's where all these millennium structures came from
1: my my life is now complete thank you very much chris i appreciate that and there you go i should have done this i I feel chastised, firstly, in terms of my inability to speak Hungarian, and secondly, because all of these things were named Millennium and I didn't ask the question. Well done. That's why this is a two-hander, not a single-hander.
0: Indeed it is. By the way, if you'd like to uh, supply comments or feedback to us, you can do so. We are available on Facebook. All you need to do is search for Travel First on Facebook. If you prefer to go to us via Twitter, we're very easy to find there. We are at Travel First Pod. That's at Travel First Pod. You can get in touch with us via Facebook or Twitter. And, Alex, I think we're done for this week.
1: We are. And if you want to say we are inept rather than ept, then you can certainly do that on your social media. So we will catch up with you in a few days' time. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has
0: been another quality podcast production from com.